Well, hot diggity dog. Uh, <laughs> I'm tired. I love when you pause to plan after you start. Like, what are we doing here? What, what's... It seems, yeah, it seems the best way to go about life. Why not? Just go. Just start, figure it out while you're. Yeah, figure it out along the way. Did Michael will... Scott have a quote Michael, about that? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I just start a sentence. I don't know where it's going. <laughs> I usually find it along the way. I do appreciate most of the podcasts that I listen to that start with like that level of enthusiasm. I do not like the ultra calm, I'm in a spa sort of start. I usually just skip to the next episode if that uh, happens. Welcome back. Well, welcome back, back to this podcast. Well, uh, that's how your boy starts his podcast. Is it? Yeah, Which one? Da- Dax. Dax. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, there you I go. Mean, there you yeah, go. That yeah guy, but that has that different has, set of rules. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's Dax. <laughs> but I like when Malcolm Gladwell does it because he's got that kind of cinematic. Well, not I guess not cinematic ep- story. What would you, how would you describe his? How do you describe Mal? I don't know, but there's always, um, you know, really great music behind what he's trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever does that part of his podcast, you know, my hat's off to you. He's got like six people that works on his podcast. Yeah. Kind of like the Coyote Fitness podcast. It's the whole uh, army of people producing this. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway. Anyway. uh, Episode something or another, uh, 94. No, you're kidding. We're that close to 100? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's creeping we'll up. There. We'll be there in probably two years. We should, <laughs> <laughs> we should do something special when that two-year mark hits. Yeah. Episode 100, that's crazy. 94. Imagine all the wisdom, fitness wisdom we have shared with the world Damn. over 94 episodes. Especially me. Especially uh, you. I've really let people know, uh, you know what it is. One episode, we're going to have to do this, where you just get behind the mic, and you're like, skip, 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 skip. All right, outside the box. (laughs) (laughs) Give the people what they want, right? Yeah. More than likely, everybody listens to this explicitly for the outside the box segment. That makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Why Uh, why else would you click on this? Yeah. Speaking of clicks. Yeah, just in case. Speaking of clicks, um, you know, Instant Cart's a cool way to shop. Helps you diet well. Get a click things mm, to okay. do to do that. Okay. Uh, diet. Wait a minute. Wait, diets are kind of oh. challenging. Mm, I feel like yeah. a lot of people do these uh, diet challenges to go to the beach. Wait, beach. Well, and it mostly affects your body, obviously. Undoubtedly. So, yeah. Wait. Und- so, undoubtedly. Wait, so body challenge beach. beach. I like the way that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should incorporate that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, actually, you're a little bit late to the game. It's already happened. Oh. Yeah, and something that actually has become this really big annual event inside of the Coyote family uh, where originally people are like, wait, what is this? Then they jump in, and the the biggest reason people get excited about this is because what we're going to talk about today because it produces results for so many people that get involved with this. So what we're going to do today on this episode briefly is uh, celebrate how it went this year, talk about the results, dig into a little bit of like, Hey, were there some pitfalls there that some people experienced? And then the big thing that people are always asking, especially the people who are in the challenge for the first time, what comes next? Now that this challenge is over, how do I make sure to stay on this track where I don't want to just take the end body and run over it with a truck where I look forward <laughs> to stepping on that and getting the metrics? So get us started here, Hunter, with the, this year was a pretty successful year, not only for, for the gym, but for you personally as well. Yeah, yeah, it went great. Uh, we had a ton of people uh, participate this year and had a lot of good results and you know, from the beginning, we always tell people, you know, it's a six-week challenge, but really the ultimate goal is to teach you how to take control of your diet so you can control it for the rest of your life. And that's kind of what, what we want people to be able to do. And that's kind of what we want to talk about is, like you said, what what comes next and 
and how they can apply what they learn and make it sustainable for a really long period of time. Because it's really freeing when you when you know you have the ability to um, control your diet and make changes and do whatever you want to with your body. Um, it takes so much pressure and stress off of it. But um, real quick, we can kind of just talk about the results. So six-week challenge, um, we had over 90 people um, scan in for their second scan. Uh, so this is a pretty big sample size. Man, that is um, big. Mm. In six weeks, uh, the average fat pounds loss was 5.56 across over those 90-something people. So almost averaging a pound a week of fat lost. Uh, muscle mass gain was 0.39. Um, so a little bit better than not losing muscle, which if you're trying to lose weight, it's really hard to, to lose weight and, and maintain muscle. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And then the average body fat percent change was 2.21%. So um, across 90-something people, uh, that those averages were, were pretty astounding in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, those, those results, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that people are trying thousands of different sorts of things to get those kind of results in a six-week time frame. Uh, interestingly enough, I think we should just talk about this at the start. It's not just about the food that you're consuming. Actually, tracking points included other things that align with the overall fitness philosophy of, of Coyote, yeah. right? Yeah, we can do a refresher on that. I think we talked about that on a previous podcast. If you want more detail on on how it was broken down, go go listen to that episode. But um, basically every day you could get up to six points. Uh, you got a point for um, being within 10% of your macros, which we help people set up um, on MyFitnessPal. Uh, you got a point for eating at least 90% of your food um, from the quality food list that we provided. Uh, you got a point for getting being in bed eight and eight and a half hours. Uh, you got a point for drinking 100 ounces of water, and you got a point for each day that you did 30 minutes of exercise, which could be a walk, could be a jog, could be a CrossFit class, whatever. And then you also got a point if you came to class and did the workout or did the, the class workout at home. Um, so up to six points. And then on Sunday, uh, since uh, we always recommend people take at least one full day off a week, uh, since you weren't doing a CrossFit class workout, you would, you could get a bonus point if you didn't drink alcohol that week. So up to six points a day, um, over 42 days. I've, I don't know what the total is. 200, is that 240? Six, 246. 246, yeah. 246 well, yeah. no, 252. 252. <laughs> Isn't that right? Somewhere right now, someone's like, you got to be kidding me, guys. Nah, I don't know. I don't yeah. care enough to. So the point that we're making here, and I think this is something that, you know, as we start to talk about these. 252. Yeah, we start to talk yeah. about these results. It's, cool. it's something that, that we really should point out because we have been taught, especially uh, in modern times, the way to change your body composition uh, is to either mimic what you see someone doing on social media and or go by the book Diet X. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people think uh, I just need to get my beach body. I need to lose weight. And so um, they just don't eat anything. Um, and let's be honest, it's pretty easy to lose weight. I mean, if you're just per specifically, I want to lose 30 pounds, that's that's fairly easy to do. Um, Calorie but, deficit, that's yeah, all you're Yeah, yeah, don't eat anything. But it's it's really hard to lose weight and also put on muscle or maintain muscle at the same time. It's you know what really, we should really do? Yeah, we should that? do a full podcast episode review of dieting for dummies. Dieting for and dummies. And say why it's wrong or not. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could totally eviscerate that. Yeah. Or it's exactly right. And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I would not predict that. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So, yeah. So th it's a pretty comprehensive approach, but mm -hmm. you're saying that like 
the instinct that we have to remedy our body composition problem is 100% wrong. Yeah, and we do the in-body, and it tells you your weight, but we don't use weight, overall weight, at all as part of the calculation. People could win the beach body Challenge theoretically and put on weight if they lost enough body fat and put on enough muscle. Um, we want people to change their body composition and change um, their health um, for an extended period of time and change it for the rest of their life. And to do that, you have to um, have your macros dialed in. And you have to have all this other stuff dialed in. It's not just about starving yourself because we see time and again, people who starve themselves, they do this yo-yo diet where they lose all this weight, but they're also losing um, muscle mass and their body fat percent isn't really changing or it's actually going up. And then they're not setting themselves for up for long-term success or health. And so we want people to have long-term success and health so we want their body fat percent going down. In order to do that, there's a lot more than just not eating. And so that's that's what we were exploring on this. And um, I, I, I kind of wanted to highlight some of the top top results, which were, were mind-blowing. First off, the top body fat percent loss um, was 6.9% in six Jeez. weeks. So a little over a percent a week, which is insane. Um, we've never had anybody lose 7% in the six weeks, but this is the closest anybody's ever been to that and that person didn't win because they lost a little bit of muscle um and so you know we did a ranking across four categories we ranked their body fat percent loss we did their uh muscle mass gain we did their total fat uh pounds lost and we did their uh total points that they logged in sugar wide and ranked across those um four categories and so because he lost a little bit of muscle he he didn't end up winning first overall he did finish top 10 but um, the first place finisher law, uh, put on 5.8 pounds of muscle, which is the most anybody put on. And so that just shows you um, that putting on muscle while also losing body fat is going to cause a huge, tremendous change in your body. So first place lost uh, or gained 5.8 pounds of muscle, lost 11.7 pounds of fat, uh, lost 6% body fat. So I think we had... Um, three or four people lose over 6% body fat. And then we also, for the first time, had somebody get perfect score on sugar wild points. They For six weeks, they got a six on every single day. So that's the first time we've ever had anybody do that. Mm. Wow, that is that is extremely impressive, that level of discipline yeah. to, to kick in. And also those, those results, I mean, unprecedented results. So part of my big question is, how are, how did these people experience so much success with this? We've talked a lot, like you referenced before, on these episodes about the formula, but mm -hmm. there are people involved with this formula. How are these people so successful? So the beautiful thing about this, I, I think, is the points. And what that does is it tracks um, how many points you get mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it can show how consistent you are. And so we talked a, bit, um, a minute earlier about the total points possible was 252. All right, so I'm looking at the top three finishers overall. First place had 242 points. Second place had 233. Third place had 233. So out of a possible 252, they only didn't get, they missed, one person missed 10 points, another two missed 19. And so that shows you like over a six-week period, they got a perfect score almost every single day. And I mean, if you were to do the, you know, division on that and figure out their percent. What is that? 96, 95, 94%, something like that. That's an, high, a, yeah. that's an A in school. And you can go literally like I was going through, I, I love spreadsheets and numbers. I, I'll go down the spreadsheet and it will be almost 
to a T declining sugar wild points as the results go down. And so the, the worst finishers got fewer points, the better finishers got more points. And it's, it's been that way every single year that we've done this and show it. And so it just goes to show you, it's just about being consistent. It's about doing the things you need to do every single day. And the people that do it the most consistently get the most results. And it's pretty fascinating. So in this way, you, you actually expand the lesson beyond the people that participated in the challenge across the whole family, Coyote family, mm-hmm. that if you start, and maybe we can make this proposal in this episode today, if you start focusing on the wrong things and anything other than consistency would be the wrong thing, yeah. then you're going to torpedo your results. Yep. There's a solid chance of that. So Definitely. you start focusing on PRs, you start focusing, we talk about this a lot, the, the person next to you and how they're finishing or even if you start focusing on how your clothes fit, those sort of things can be very deceptive in the short term. Also the domain of, of six weeks. I mean, you think about that over the course of a year, that's not very long. Yep. You know, so you have a lot of space inside of a year to have those six week, uh, that six week rotation. Yeah. I mean, add up. Yeah. If these people continue to do what they're doing now, they're probably, they probably won't make progress as quickly because you know, the, the, the first progress is the fastest and then it kind of slows down as you have less fat to lose and less muscle to gain. And, you know, but you put three or four, six week periods of like this together, you do it for what is that four or five times and you're, you got half a year and you've lost 10, 15% body fat. I mean, you're literally a completely different person. Um, and so it's just fascinating to see, but, um, the first place is consistency and you have to start with that because you can't make any change. I can't really help somebody cause I don't know what's going on if they're not being consistent. If somebody comes to me at the end of the beach body challenge and says, I, you know, I didn't really make a whole lot of progress. I don't know what else I need to do. And I look at their point total and they got 115 points. Like, like that's let, that's less than 50%. Like if you were in school, you would have failed. You know, and you can look really look at it that way. Everybody understands school and 90% above 90% is an A and 80% is a B and 70% is a C. Well, take your points and divide those by 252 and determine what your percentage was. And if you didn't get at least a B, like you don't, you, we can't really help you out because you weren't super consistent with it. You didn't follow the program. You got to see it best or a D or whatever, whatever the case may be. And so if you got less than half the total points, like, I mean, if you say it didn't work, you didn't do it. Like it it worked for the people who got across the board. It worked for the people who got the most points. So that would be number one is you have to be consistent. And that's what this shows over and over again. And there's people who do the Beachbody Challenge who have um, come and talked about they're having trouble doing this and I just can't understand why I'm not losing weight. And then they log 100 points or 110 points or 120 points. I'm like, that, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, how more black and white do you want it? Like it's right there on paper. You got 40% (laughs) on frustration (laughs) coming off of you. No, I, yeah, (laughs) but it, it just like, it, it, it's easy for me to see because I can see all these people, but I think it's hard for everybody else to see it when they're just looking at themselves and looking at other people, how are they getting the results? And I'm not, but it's black and white on the, on the point total. So, yeah, I think it's a healthy frustration because really it's a frustration that's uh, born out of care. Like you, don't be confused about this because the longer you stay confused, the higher your percentages that yeah. you're going to quit. Right. You know, people always, um, their default is there's something wrong with the process. No, there's nothing wrong with the process. There's something wrong with the participant. What's great about Coyote Fitness is that we're able to move in and say, 
but it's not something that we can't fix. Mm -hmm. We can fix this. Let's start with step one. Step one is going to be consistency. And how do you know that you're being consistent? Here's an app. It's on your phone. It will give you a bar graph and you can check this over, over the weeks and see, are you hitting four or five or six? That's where we need to start. Hit six. Yeah. Hit hit six. six. Get six points consistently for an extended period of time and see what happens. And then, um, then after you've done that for three, four, five weeks and you've shown me you've logged your food and every single thing you've eaten for a few weeks, then we can start making changes. But until you're consistent about that, we can't, it, it's impossible to know what to do because it's impossible to, because you're not being consistent because you're, it's, it's all over the place. So let's say you were consistent and you got a lot of points. Um, and there were some people like this, including me, but you lost, maybe you lost a little bit of muscle, like, or you, you didn't put on as much muscle. And then that's when we can, we can make some tweak it because I know, all right, you follow the protocol. Let's look at what, how many calories you're eating. And the biggest thing we saw was some people, first off, if you're losing 15 to 20 pounds of body fat in six weeks, it's nearly impossible to put on muscle as well, because you're losing weight at such a rapid pace. Um, then, um, we would say, all right, let's, let's bump your calories up a little bit. Or number one, I would look at your protein. If you're hitting your protein every single day, then I would say, all right, when you're, you're probably at a little bit too much of a calorie deficit, let's bump those calories up a little bit. And for me specifically, I lost, I think 19 total pounds. Um, and I lost a couple pounds of muscle, but if you're, I mean, if you do the math on that, that's losing three pounds a week. And that's at the most, we want people losing uh, two pounds a week and one pound a week is more sustainable. So if you're losing three pounds a week, it's going to be really hard to hold on to your muscle. So for me, I was at a pretty big calorie deficit. Um, and so now I'm bumping the calories up so I can maintain and put muscle back on and also start putting on muscle in the future. And I will continue to lose body fat. I won't lose it at such a, a rapid rate. And there's some other people like that too, who lost 15, 20, 25 total pounds 15 pounds of fat, but they also lost a few pounds of muscle. And for those people, we would say, all right, let's bump the calories up a little bit, maybe a couple hundred a day, and then slow down that rate of weight loss so we can hold on or start putting on muscle. Man, that is fascinating because most people would assume that if you're losing weight that rapidly, you could protein your way out of that muscle loss, but it's that's pretty elite to, to get that figured out. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you are at a huge calorie deficit, it doesn't matter how much protein you're eating because you're, you're losing weight at such a rapid pace. Your body has to get energy from somewhere, and so it's going to start breaking muscle down because you're at such a calorie deficit. And so that's one of those things where it's, if you lost some muscle, I would say more than a pound or two over the six weeks, um, then let's bump that those calories up a couple hundred a day so that we can start to um, put that muscle back on and and um, and maybe start to gain some muscle. Okay, let's take a, little, a quick second here to address something because I know our listeners are probably thinking when they hear muscle loss, they hear weaker. I'm going to be weaker in the gym, and that's not something I want. I can't handle that. It's too big of an ego hit, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Those two things don't necessarily translate uh, into the Metcon, right? No, yeah, and I mean, it's... There's no telling where that muscle came from, what what where what part of your body you lost muscle from. And then if you lost 20 pounds, maybe you lost two pounds of muscle, but you're also doing 20 less pounds of work every single rep you're doing something. So you're probably still getting stronger. We just don't want that trend to continue over a long period of time. Like I said, for me personally, I made myself a really aggressive uh, 
calorie deficit because I wanted to get down to 215 because I hadn't been there uh, down there in a long time. And I just wanted to lose that weight as fast as possible and then um, kind of maintain and start putting muscle on. And so I got down to 214 um, from, I think the, I was 235 six months ago or something. And I, I think I was 229 when I started. Um, so I wanted to lose it as fast as possible. So I was aggressive and I knew it was gonna be hard to hold on to my muscle. And I did, I lost a couple pounds, which is fine. Um, but for those people who lost that weight really fast, you might've lost muscle, but you probably are performing better in the gym because you weigh a lot less. Yeah. Which is the thing that most people are actually paying attention to. Right. The thing we like to compare it uh, to, this is really easy to understand. If you're doing uh, 60 pull-ups in a Metcon and you're 18 pounds lighter, man, does that make a big yeah. difference? <laughs> you know? And and you can you can do the the work uh, calculation um, on how much work you're doing each rep and how much or how much power you're putting out based off your weight, based off of the how far the the weight's traveling, how much you weigh, and all that type of stuff. And you can calculate that. And you're doing, I guarantee you're doing more work um, in a workout faster, but we don't want to um, continue down that road of losing muscle. We want to eventually level out and maintain our muscle or eventually put it on because that's what's going to lead to long-term health and uh, performance. So in the short term, it's okay to lose, lose a little bit when you're losing a ton of weight, but we want to eventually um, start putting that, that muscle back on. So let's talk about the real beauty of this process. And it's something that, you know, you started this process with this end in mind that it would have compounding results over time. Mm -hmm. It isn't just about this blitz and we're going to celebrate that and great. We'll come back around to it next year. The idea is that it would have long lasting implications for overall health for a lifetime. So part of the question now for all of the participants and the people who actually were inspired by the participants what do we do now? Where do we yeah. go now that the challenge is over? So I would look back at you on, uh, your your own personal results. Number one, if you're one of those people who were super consistent, you got a ton of points, and um, you made tremendous progress, then keep doing what you're doing. If you're one of those people who lost a little bit of muscle, like I said, maybe add a few, uh, couple hundred calories a day so we can start holding on to that. And then if you're one of those that wasn't super consistent, I would say, man, buckle down and really start trying to be consistent. But how you can turn this, the how you can make this sustainable for a really long period of time is pretty simple. You, you add in a couple of cheat meals a week, um, but you fit those into your macros. So instead of being so, so strict on the quality every single day, um, you say, all right, maybe Wednesday night and Saturday night, I'm going to have a meal where I eat what I want to, but I'm going to go ahead and put it in my fitness pal beforehand so I'm still hitting my macros for that day. I'm just not getting the high quality food um, for that specific meal. So for me, it's like, I really want to have a pizza. I'm not going to eat the whole pizza because after eating clean for six weeks, you just, you can't eat the high, the, the, the amount of bad food that you could beforehand. So I'm say, all right, I'm gonna have maybe three pieces of pizza on Saturday night, but I'm gonna go ahead and put it in my fitness pal um, Saturday morning. So then I know, what I need to eat the rest of the day to be able to still hit my macros for that, for that given day. And then maybe it's, maybe you want to have a glass of wine or two, a, 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 one night a week or something like that, maybe two nights a week. And that's fine too. It's just going to be a little bit slower of a progress. Um, but it's sustainable for a really, really long period of time. And the six weeks is kind of like, let's just throw everything at it and see how much progress we can make. And then let's back off a little bit after that 
make it a little bit more sustainable by adding a cheat meal or two a weekend, maybe adding a couple drinks in a week, um, but still continue to track everything. And you can do that for years and years and years because you're still giving yourself the food that you want. You're still ha having the drinks that you want, but you're still fitting it in into the ultimate plan uh, over the week. And then, I mean, like I said, you can do that for for forever, really. Yeah, for a lifetime. It, yeah. Really, I think it comes down to where, you're, if I hear you correctly, it's really about intentionality. Uh, continue to maintain that level of intentionality, mm -hmm. even if some of the metrics, the discipline metrics aren't there. We say, we talk all the time about having a piece of cake at the birthday party. Yeah. Uh, so you're just going to put some, uh, some different steps in place and maybe be okay with, I'm not going to measure for, for six weeks, but I'm going to look at over six months, kind of what my progress is and uh, protract that out a little bit, bring that same level of intentionality, but even over the things that you're doing that are outside of the steps mm -hmm. to try to rein them in. And I love what you're talking about and that this discipline actually uh, adds on itself. You know, I mean, how many times have you, you eat clean for a while and you're like, you know what, I'm having a bocce. And then you have a bocce on Friday and you roll into that Saturday workout and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never doing that again. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's just not worth it anymore. So even when you start to go crazy with your diet and have that cheat meal, if you were to look at A to B, comparing a large pizza to two slices uh, of pizza, that's a big difference. Having the cheat meal as part of the plan is incredibly important. And because it's gonna, you're not going to feel bad about eating it, you're not going to wake up the next day feeling bad about yourself. And then if you are not waking up the next day feeling bad about yourself, you're going to be a lot less likely to continue that trend. So if you go into a Saturday night and say, you know, this is part of the plan that I've made for myself, I'm going to have my cheat meal and I'm going to eat this at dinner, you can have what you want and it, and still not feel bad about it. But if you are like just white knuckling and willpowering it, eventually that's going to give out and you're going to, you know, fall off the deep end. And we see it time and time again with people who, who go for three, four, five weeks of being incredibly, incredibly strict, maybe 10 weeks, however long they make it. And then they just give out and then they binge for two or three days and they give up all this hard work that they put in. If you, the whole thing is, you know, have a plan that's going to sustain you for the long, long period of time. And for me and for so many other people, we found that if you plan a cheat meal or two a week where you're still fitting that food into your macros or as close to your macros as you can get, you can have that guilt-free, um, cheat meal and not feel bad about it what you know eating the pizza eating the ice cream eating the cake or whatever because you know um tomorrow i'm right back to where i was and so um i think that's such a such a healthy and sustainable way to do it as opposed to just try to see how long i can white knuckle this thing and and then just go from 100 to zero um and fall off the wagon it's crazy how much emotions can play into your physical journey yep okay that's probably what that might be the most underrated part of phys, uh, physical fitness. It feels like, because we're all, we're always talking about the the metrics and the science behind it. But like this one time we, you know, talk about the emotion side. Well, not the one time, but you know, one of these times we talked about the emotional side of things. Like, there's probably nothing more that can hinder your uh, journey than the you know emotional ramifications of like over disciplining and stuff like that. Yeah, and so yeah, so many people like have food is a coping mechanism and, and that's how they can, they don't feel control in certain areas of their life, but they can control what they eat. And so that's kind of a way they cope with certain things. And we, we go into really in depth in that with our, our one-on-one -on -one diet coaching. And it, that, that would be another thing. If somebody's really struggling, um, with, with this type of stuff and they just can't seem to get it together, it might be good to have somebody 
along for the journey. And for some people, they know what they need to do. They just can't do it. They just, and they need to do the diet coaching just for the accountability. It's have knowing that somebody's going to be checking with in with them on a week to week basis. Um, and knowing somebody's in their corner can, can be all the difference in the world. They know they've been doing this for 10 years and they know exactly what they need to be eating. They know exactly what they need to be doing. They're just not doing it. Maybe they just need some accountability. Um, but yeah, there's so many aspects to it, Chase, of, of, um, emotions getting involved and, you know, having a cheat meal and then feeling bad about yourself and saying, well, it's Sunday morning. I already screwed up this weekend. I'm just going to keep going and then I'll get back on track on Monday. And then Monday you feel like crap. So you don't feel like meal prepping. And so you eat out and then next thing you know, it's Thursday and you haven't eaten good for five days. Like there's so many aspects that play into it. Nowhere gives you a hug better than Kane's. <laughs> always there for you. Yeah, you got oh, that's so true. Kane's, Kane's, Kane's just is like, man, man, we need to write that down. <laughs> yeah. Put that in an ad. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's do this small uh, small little piece before we get into the next segment here. We've talked a lot about input. Let's talk a little bit about output because when you talk about white knuckling, we see this happen over and over again inside of our community. You'll see a person just like shot out of a cannon. Like, man, this guy's intensity, this girl's intensity is just shot to the roof and they're and everybody's waiting like when are they going to disappear because they've reached this uh, level of intensity that just doesn't seem like it's going to be able to carry long term if you could hunter just quickly give us two or three quick things like if you find yourself in that situation what do you need to do i would assume one of the first things you're going to say is listen to your coach and your community about it but yeah um so number one i would say yeah if find somebody that you that you trust um, that can lead you, um, down that path, uh, and, and, you know, say, Hey, I need some help with this, whatever the case may be. Um, what, what was the other part of the question? Well, the, you just get in the situation and you see this a lot where people are sitting in front of the rack of wall balls and they're like, should I do yeah, yeah. 20 or 14? And, yeah. And they're just, they're choosing up every day and they're, they're in the gym three days a week more than they used to be. And, you know, they're headed for burnout and a lot of us hit this because we really want to have the success that the other people have had. Uh, how do we, how do we avoid that? Do, I think most of us need permission to say, Hey, there, we program what we do for a reason. Maybe you need to step down a track on Wednesdays. If you're training six days a week, Yeah, ask a coach who, who can take an objective look at what you're doing and say, you know, you're heading on the right track or let's pull off a little bit. Let's pull the reins back here. Um, let's, let's find something that's a little bit more sustainable um, but that's that's a question that we always should be asking ourselves is, is this sustainable? Is this something that I can keep going for six months, 12 months, six years? Is this a diet that I, that I can eat uh, for an extended period of time? And if it's not, it's okay to do it for a short burst, but mm-hmm. we need to realize I'm not going to be able to keep this going for six months. There's no way, you know, I could go six months without having a piece of pizza. Like it's just not going to happen. And so let's, let's talk with somebody and figure out a way to make a lifestyle where I am eating healthy and uh, moving towards my goals and still also eating that pizza, um, one, one time a week or whatever, or still having that birthday cake. When I go to my niece's birthday party, like I'm not going to live a life where I don't do that type of stuff. And so it's finding a way to fit all that into the plan. And so I think Having somebody who has been there who can walk along with you um, and help you uh, give you an uh, outsider's perspective on, um, on what, what, what to do can, can make all the difference in the world. And it can be a coach. It can be a friend. It can be whatever. And 
accountability, we talked about that a minute ago, is so powerful. Just knowing that somebody's going to be asking you about how it went can can make all the difference in the world. And like for the sugar wad, you know, for our beach body, we have people put, post their points on sugar wad. That's really powerful mm-hmm. because that's kn- knowing I'm going to be accountable for whether I have put points in here or not and for how many points I put in here. And sure, you can go in there and lie and put six every single day. But I mean, you're only hurting yourself Self, if you do right. that. Like that, But the sugar wad is accountability in the fact that I know I need to get on there and put my stuff in there on sugar wad. And I need, know I need to go on my fitness pal and put my food in there. And then it's going to tell me, like, you hadn't logged in seven days. Like, that's objective, and um, there's no emotion attached to that. It's did you do it or did you not? Yeah, total honesty. Well, I think we can wrap this conversation by saying to all the people who have participated, who experienced uh, positive results, which would be anyone who gained anything through the process, we just say a big congratulations. Great job. Great job for getting in the process. We're proud of you. And uh, it'll be around next year. Yeah, again. I would say awesome, great job, and you know, hopefully, you can continue to do to do this and find something that's going to be sustainable for a whole year. And we say at the beginning of the Beach Body Challenge every year, our goal is for you not to have to do the Beach Body Challenge next year, and our goal is for you to be able to take control of your diet and have that freedom that comes with knowing it's okay if I fall off the wagon for a little amount of period of time because I know what I need to do to get back on it. I have control of it. Um, and it's such a freeing to know you such a freeing feeling to know that you can take control of your diet and take control of your body and kind of do whatever you want to with it and make, make adjustments as needed. So great job to everybody who did that. And, um, if anybody who didn't do it wants to do it now, I mean, we can always work with you and send you the manual and, 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 um, and kind of show you, you know, we do what we did to, to help people. I mean, it's, it's something that it doesn't have to be done this one specific six week period of the year, it can be done at any time and it can be done for as long as you want to do it. So, um, hopefully, hopefully you guys can continue to do it. And I, that's something I've been talking to people about who finished it around the gym or you still doing it, you know, are you still rolling with it? I'm still doing, it. I'm still tracking my food. And I took a little bit of time off and, and took a few days off of tracking, but now I'm back to it. Like I said, I adjusted my, uh, specific macros to increase the amount of food I'm taking. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be at a deficit anymore. And now the goal is just to continue to track and put on a little bit of muscle and just maintain my weight for, you know, I'm in a weight that I want to be at for a long period of time. So that's kind of, kind of my goal. And hopefully other people will continue to go down that process as well. Awesome. Well, good luck to you guys. All right. Next segment. Uh, outside, outside. Outside the Man, we could take wow. that on the road. Look at that. Man, we're so good. <laughs> you didn't even know. All right. Uh, this could be, this will not be a long one. So I would say it can either, wait. Uh, th- <laughs> this could either be a short or a medium segment of Outside the Box. Okay. Uh, I have three questions for us. It's more of a. Have you met us? <laughs> that's kind of, I didn't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> These are three questions. Uh, you can answer them as quick or as not quick as you like. Uh, I kind of am mostly just curious, and I thought I thought of these up on a whim, and we'll see what you say. Cool? Yep, let's go. All right, so it's kind of like first date, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm great at those. Mm, yeah, nailed that first one. <laughs> Didn't look back. That's right. All right, uh, number one. What are three jobs... That there is just no way you can make a career out of. Like, it would be the death of you to look at doing this for 40 years of your life or whatever. Three jobs? Yeah. 
Um, number one would be the first job that I had. <laughs> 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 Sitting behind a desk all day. Uh, I was a dispatcher, freight manager for a company, um, planning truck routes and talking to truck drivers and customers and solving problems and that type of stuff. Just anything, I think, where I had to sit at a desk all day. Um, when I was in college, I briefly was considering being an accountant and then also being a lawyer before that. And any of those, I just couldn't see myself doing that. Accountant so. is absolutely on my list. <laughs> so that would be number one. Number two would be any, um, I don't know, like my brother-in-law does construction uh, and, you know, works out on like machines and stuff out in the sun every day and I just couldn't see myself doing that. So props to him on doing that. Like that's shout out Lee. Yeah. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be really tough for me to do. Um, and then God, third one, I guess I'm, oh, did we want to go around in a circle or just do all? No, you go ahead. Um, any type of politician. Oof. I can, any type, uh, any type of politician, not, not even like a local supervisor. I'd say I could totally be a mayor, <laughs> not a Madison, but, but some fun small town. Don't put that out because they'll track you down if you say you're going to be the mayor of Madison. Yeah, you're man, knock gosh, on your door. You'll no, have to move. Get some broken yeah. kneecaps. Yeah, you're no longer welcome here. <laughs> any uh, any type of politician, I, I I I wouldn't want to be in that world at all. So mm-hmm. those are those are three for me. Yeah, those are good three. Accountant would definitely be on my list. Um, I think, I guess technically you can make a career out of this, so I'll say it because I've done the job and I, there's literally no way I could do it for the rest of my life. And that's any sort of food service, especially fast food. Like, uh, like I worked at a local pizza buffet for like six months and to this day, it's still the worst job I've ever had. The stories you tell about that place, man. Yeah, I'm glad they closed, so now that I can tell those stories freely. <laughs> um, but I won't do it here. I'm having a hard time with the third one. So definitely accountant, definitely fast food, like service person, whether it's cashier or doughboy, which I was. Um, I feel like something that... Uh, is incredibly high stress and a lot of people depend on on like a service level so whether it's like some kind of thing in like the the natural gas or oil industry or something like that where you're like dealing with dangerous stuff and if something goes really wrong it can like you know like an oil spill or something like that some kind of high stress environment like that i don't think i could sustainably do i think i would die young doing something like that cuz i'm already with stuff like that where like the magnifying glass is on you or the microscope is on you like i i already have major anxiety in any situation like that so if it's like sustained and like really high stakes there's no way i wouldn't see the end of it I can see that. I think most people fall into that category. Probably. Actually. I mean, a, a few people like really thrive in those situations, but yeah, good for them. that's why they get paid a lot. Most people crash and burn. So that's your three. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So my, um, one of my three follows in line with that. The, uh, first is anything that would require inventory management, what you've done. <sighs> yeah, it was, I mean, and I mean, at any level, uh, if I were like the top guy, I was not the top guy. I was the bottom guy scanning barcodes and things. Even if I were the top guy and could retire comfortably at 41 years old, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it because 
there's so much involved with that, like having to keep up with so many details. Also, depending on the product, you have to lay out millions of dollars in the hopes that you're going to get that back. I'm just too risk averse to be able to handle that job. Well, it would destroy me. I would be like an alcoholic in two weeks. Mm. No, no beach body challenge for me. If I'm involved <laughs> in inventory nice. management, right? So inventory that, management. yeah, that would be number one <clears throat> for obviously very different reasons. I cannot be involved with sewage disposal. If you've ever been around when someone uh, empties the grease trap uh, from any food service location, uh, it's just a different kind of bad smell. And mm. I've been around it often enough because of some of my other jobs. I just know that I wouldn't do well with that. Plus you have the uh, added non-benefit of kind of smelling like that mm. uh, at all times. Like it gets on your clothes and kind of in your skin. And I just, I couldn't do it. I have a pretty strong stomach with that kind of stuff, but it's just different. <clears throat> Trust me on that. The last one is I could not be, <clears throat> excuse me, I cannot be an auditor for the United States. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because you know when you walk into every situation, you're the most hated person on earth. Yeah. Also, top salary around $73,000. Not worth it. That is not worth it. I think no. given the choice between auditor for the United States and sewage disposal, I would probably pick sewage disposal. You're essentially doing... The worst type of inventory tracking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the people who are who are having to participate in the process with you most likely hate your guts. Yeah. Or the, hate the guts of the people that say And you don't you. blame them. You don't blame them. Yeah. You just got to do your job, keep your head down. And uh, I think there's just too much people pleaser in me. Yeah. So I would probably not do the job very well, actually. I think that may be even more specialized than the thing I was talking about with like the high stakes thing. Mm-hmm. Like who wants to actively go into one just a starting point, an incredibly boring job. Right. And two, literally no one likes you. They probably not even <laughs> your coworkers. It's just Yeah. Now I'm not talking about going into uh, let's say Citibank or something. I'm talking about just John and Lisa, anywhere USA. Mom and pop coming and ruin their lives. Yeah, like you walk into their house and she's got cookies baking and they own the local uh co-op or and something. And they're just not good at taxes. And Let me and, see your books. <laughs> yeah. And you're just about to wreck their life. You yeah. know, like, like well, quick. our daughter's getting married in six weeks. If this goes well, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta <laughs> get it. <laughs> so I just cannot handle that situation. Yeah. That's a good answer. What, uh, I think the only thing that would be a more hated job would be somebody who's responsible for serving you for papers to go to go to court mm, yeah. yeah but i think at some point i could get satisfaction out of that because a lot of people you're serving you deserve just, it just suck. yeah yeah here's here's a really funny story when i was in uh college playing baseball we had our conference tournament at smithwell stadium my senior year that is a funny story yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh in jackson and uh we were in the batting cages uh taking bp before the game you know in our uniform batting practice for those of you that don't yeah it, yeah batting for practice yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this guy walks up to uh, uh, a guy on our team, and he's like, are you so-and-so? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you're a popular guy. You just got served. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and we enjoyed all, it. We all started dying out laughing. We're like, did you just get served <laughs> like at batting practice? And it turns out he had uh, he was getting served for like a hit-and-run crash, but it wasn't him because like we were out of town uh, in a different state when that happened, and it was just another car that looked like his car, and somehow they – they thought it was him that it hit somebody on Lakeland Drive and drove off. But Bold we, move. He got served in front of our whole team. We're before. pretty sure you did it. <laughs> so therefore, yeah, I was like, how did they embarrass the crap out of they, you? Yeah, it was it was pretty weird. But anyways, 
That just made me joke think to like, play on somebody. Actually, I would not yeah. want to be that guy just walking. Around. It's like oh, you would wouldn't believe where I served this dude today. Is sucks to suck. <laughs> yeah. All right, number two. What's the most memorable sports moment you can remember seeing either in person or on TV? Uh, and there's so many, but for me, my first one is the first one. My biggest one is my first one. It was when I was like five or six years old, and um, we were watching the Braves play the Pirates in the uh, National League Championship Series. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but Sid Bream scored from second base uh, on a single uh, to left field. And, he, like, I don't know if you guys know who Sid Bream is, but he was the first brace for the Braves, and he was so slow. Um, but he scored to send the Braves into a World Series uh, for the first time maybe in forever. And my dad, I just remember my dad being so excited and, like, running around and screaming out the, out the, out the door about it. And uh, that was really – a big moment for me as a kid, uh, just seeing how excited my dad was um, for that. And I was like five or six, so it's one of my first memories. So uh, 1991, I think, in LCS when the Braves went to the World Series. Mm. That was very specific. Yeah, yeah that was, that was good. How I do don't even know that? what mine is yet. <laughs> it's definitely going to pale in comparison. Just like this one time. Uh... <laughs> I was just going to say something like David Tyree's catch <laughs> on the Giants. It was memorable. Yeah. I don't have any like personal connection kind of sports stuff like that. I feel like Hunter should have gone last. <laughs> well, I've got a, I have a group. I've I've been researching when Hunter was answering, like trying to figure out exactly which one. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was watching uh, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice win games with touchdowns. Mm. Watching that guy play football in the eighties, like especially around those years of 80, 88, 87, 88. The guy was just incredible, and being a Mississippian, there was like this backstory of, whoa, this guy's from here, and now he's on the national stage, and it was just kind of the stuff that their dreams were made of. And then you also have all the Michael Jordan stuff, mm. uh, but the the football in particular, um, because I was playing that sport as a child and watching those guys be that good, uh, just a part of feeling like you were a part of that dynasty was crazy. Mm. Oh, I think I know mine. I'm going to be out of left field. Uh, so mine is, uh, July, 2001, uh, Del Hart Jr. goes back to Daytona where his dad had died back in February and wins the race. Uh, I don't know why I remember that because I was like six, maybe, but somehow that is like really ingratiated into my, into my head. Yeah. Well, which, the whole storyline behind it is just incredible. Like it's still like probably the most talked about NASCAR thing to date. Uh, and we were very big NASCAR people Come on. in the early 2000s. Yeah? Well, at least from what I remember. Uh, so, yeah, that would probably be mine. Have you seen his podcast? A little bit of it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. What I what I love about it is this guy is the most country-talking guy, and he doesn't care anything yeah. about it. He's yes. like, I watched a podcast where he was interviewing his brother that he didn't know about. Mm. That was interesting. Wow, that's yeah. weird. They look and sound very similar. How do they not know about Trippy. each other? Uh, I didn't get the whole backstory. <laughs> it was like, yeah, that's from the other thing over there. You know, yeah. very Southern, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, good answers, everybody. All right, yeah. All right, last question. Is there a movie, well, sorry, for a million dollars, is there a movie that you think you could write out a very detailed plot from memory, so you can't go back and watch it beforehand? It just, I'm pulling this from... Whatever year and month I watch this in, and uh, have it match up perfectly 
when played side by side to the movie. Oh, Joe like, Dirt. <laughs> that's a good answer. Man, that's really, yeah, but that's the whole whipper, like that'd be a tough thing to get correct. I could yeah. quote most of that movie. Uh, we watched it. I mean, there's no telling how many times when I was in college on the baseball bus. So it was just like one time we watched it back to back to back. So Joe Dirt. Joe Dirt. You're going line for line with Joe Dirt. Look, I mean, the for me, the answer is no, but I do need some clarification. You have to go like minute by minute. You can't miss, or is it? I had a hard time figuring out how exactly how to say this question. I really just wanted to raise the stakes so that like you're really, really trying to be accurate. Mm-hmm. Well, but, a million dollars is a big deal. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think you have to get like all the dialogue, dialogue locked mm-hmm. down and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Maybe some little segments of it. Like, and Joe says, eh, "You got any who's a what's it or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know stuff stuff like that. Yeah. Just anchor points that get you through it." I just, I'm just really looking for the movie that you're most confident. Like, I could rehash this, and it almost feel like you're watching the movie. I could get pretty close with Tombstone. I have seen that movie. Yeah. Tombstone. Yeah. So much. That's hard. That's a hard choice. Yeah, it is, but I've watched it a lot, a lot. I don't know, a very memorable movie for me. Yeah. I would say maybe um, also Braveheart, but it's been so long since I've actually seen it. Mm-hmm. That would be what I would do. I would mix up like when the scenes happen through the course of the movie. So I would definitely fail this challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of a movie where like it's like very easily linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie I think that I could do it with is The Dark Knight. Because I it's one of your favorites. I've watched it a lot and I've watched the behind the scenes of it a lot. I watch clips from it, breaking down the scene, the yada yada. Mm-hmm. It's a long movie. I think if I'm choosing one though, I think I think that one's it. I think I could do it. Interesting question. So that's kind of like a backdoor question to what was your favorite go-to movie or like what have you seen so much? Yeah. Well, uh, the backup was like like obviously Dark Knight's like a top five movie of mine of all time, but like second up would be like the B movie or something, just because I've worn that movie out because I love it. Like it's just an easy watch. Yeah, something like <laughs> uh, sense. the Sandlot or the Mighty Ducks or something mm, like that yeah. that I watched like a hundred times when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. You, did you get a phone a friend or anything? No, just, no, no, no. Oh man, yeah, I, maybe I'm gonna. But you're like, it's not you don't die. Like I could have <laughs> said, yeah, a guns to your head. Yeah, no, no, no. You just miss out on a million bucks. That yeah, would be, yeah. That would destroy me enough. <laughs> that, just give me the gun. If I, I had only remembered. <laughs> All right, so this is a great segue to one of our favorite parts of the podcast. Recommends. Yep. Where Hunter three choices on our podcast. (laughs) Yes, where uh, Hunter is able to tell us all the smart things that he's been doing. That's probably what we should rename this segment. (laughs) Hey, here's all the smart stuff I know. Uh, So, Hunter, what do you have for us? So, uh, this week I have a book. It's by Jeff Perlman. Uh, It's called uh, Three Ring Circus, and it's a book about the uh, Lakers dynasty with Shaq and Kobe, um, Phil Jackson, uh, in the 90s. It's pretty fascinating. He also wrote a book called uh, Boys Will Be Boys, and it was about the Cowboys in the 90s. And he just does uh, a lot of, like, interviews and gets a lot of behind-the-scenes stories that you wouldn't know about beforehand. And um, I thought it was really, really good. It was a really fast read and and fun to fun to read because, I, I, I mean, obviously I had watched and knew about the Lakers when they won and knew that Shaq and Kobe didn't really like each other. But just hearing all the stories and – um, seeing um, just kind of how all these huge egos just like bashed heads and um, just really <laughs> seemed like they hated each other, but they still found a way to win. It was really, really fascinating. And they always 
pull, they always pull out these, this guy specifically, he always pulls out these really funny stories like offhand that somebody tells about something that a guy on the team did that are just really, really funny. I just, I, I grew up watching sports and, you know, you watch on Sports Center all the time, but you, they, they don't really seem like real people. They just seem like uh, hmm. guys you watch on TV and it really humanizes them and, and, and kind of talks about stuff that, that they went through that you wouldn't think about. So I thought it was really good. That's really what this podcast does for our listeners That's right. with us. It just humanizes us, you know? Yeah, we're usually on this pedestal uh, in the Coyote atmosphere. Yeah, or yeah. and we didn't, look. Chase is on the, uh, we didn't who's got Chase uh, pedestal? <laughs> yeah. We didn't choose it, but we do appreciate it, right? Yeah. Here's a guy I can't really form an opinion about, Phil Jackson. I'm like, a guy that is able to produce like that has to be respected. But then you, you get to know him a little more, and then especially uh, watching the, the documentary stuff that came out this year on the Bulls, you're like, wait a minute, he really should have stood up for his players more. I don't know, it just... I mean, on the in-between. A lot of people guy. thought he was a big jerk. Yeah, but, I mean, everybody feels that way about the It's winner. just funny how, like, well, like, people who were coached by him and worked with him thought he was a jerk. But uh, it's just funny how, like, one person will say one thing about a guy and then somebody else will say the, literally the complete opposite about him, and they're both on the same team. So it's just it just kind of shows you how different people have different perspectives and um, think about about certain people. And you certain said things. this, I heard this. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. All right, I actually have a book today too. Um, it's called Leading Things You Didn't Start. Leading Things You Didn't Start. Only book you really find with that title. And it comes from a, a faith-based perspective, but this guy actually jumped into an organization called Catalyst that is widely respected even outside of, of faith-based people just for the good that they accomplish in leadership training. Um, and he, he walks through, he stepped in in his career, um, a lot of different situations where he's running these big or organizations that he didn't begin. And he stepped in right after the founder. And I've, I've found out a lot of people will find themselves in that situation. You have entrepreneurs that start things, but the majority of people step into things that other people started and uh, trying to figure out how to run those things is a little bit of a hat trick because there's a lot of stuff that came before you that you have to honor, but also that you have to grow out of. Uh, so if you're in that situation where you're like in a in a job at a business, where you're like, man, I'm stepping into this role and the person before me, pretty large shoes to fill. How am I supposed to go about doing this? He gives a lot of practical steps, things that you can assign metrics to. Like as long as you're doing these things, no matter what uh, the circumstances are telling you in the short run, you're probably doing a good job. So it's it's a quick read too, pretty quick read. Great. Sweet. I don't have anything. See you next time. Smooth sounds.